to show that video because it really sets up, I think, what this sermon series is all about, that this is us. And family, whether you're talking about relationships with moms, with dads, with brothers, with sisters, with siblings, or whether we're talking about our relationships with our church family, the reality is, is that sometimes it is messy and sometimes it is hard, but at the end of the day, we are for each other. And you know, I don't know about y'all, but my experience has been that some of the deepest wounds that I have ever experienced in my life have come from folks within my own family or those within my church family. And I think the reason that these have been some of the deepest wounds in my life, and I don't know about you, because these are people that I have often fully given my heart to. And so sometimes it's the people that we live under the same roof with that can actually hurt and wound us. And sometimes it can be the most difficult relationships. But what we're talking about today is, and kind of this is the big idea, is that these relationships, I think, are some of the most important relationships that we're going to have. And they are worth fighting for no matter how messy it gets. You know, when I was in college, um, I wasn't great with uh, conflict and that kind of thing. So if I had a, if I had a, a disagreement with a roommate and maybe, you know, it just kind of got a little worse, then my mantra was, well, May is coming. Do you know why I would say that? I could just get a new roommate the next year. <laughs> And I remember after Mark and I got married, and we'd been married a little while, so, so all that to say is I didn't develop great skills in terms of working through my stuff. When I had an issue with somebody, and it got to where I didn't want to work through it anymore, I just would check out. Well, you know, I'd been married about a year or so, and, uh, and Mark and I had had a few little bumps in the road, and I literally remember thinking, huh, I can't get a new one. Yeah. <laughs> figure out how to work on this and uh and of course that, that was a great thing for us and that was over 30 years ago so I you know we we have begun to work through those things but I think the truth in that is is that sometimes those relationships that are the very closest can be the most difficult the story that we're looking at today in the word of God uh, comes from the book of Genesis and it's about two brothers and these are two brothers who had a conflict who had a situation that was so severe, that was so hard, that was so unjust what one brother did to the other that I believe that both brothers had completely written the, each other off any hope of reconciliation and, and we're going to unpack this story just a little bit and the beauty in this story and the thing that I hope you see is that even though they had no hope of reconciliation was that God was not finished with their story. And God was not finished not only with their story with one another, but also the impact of the relationship between these two brothers and how their story impacts our story today. So who am I talking about? Uh, two brothers, uh, one was Joseph and the other was Judah. Now Joseph is the more famous of the two brothers. Y'all probably, if you've grown up in the church, if you've been to vacation Bible school, uh, maybe you've been in Bible study, you have probably heard about Joseph. 
you may not have heard as much about his less-known brother, Judah. But Judah plays this pivotal, pivotal part in Joseph's story and then in our story as well. So let's set this up. In Genesis 37, um, Joseph is 17 years old, and there, there are 12 brothers in this family. Um, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob is the daddy. Y'all remember the family line. Jacob is the, is the father. There's 12 sons, but he has a favorite son, and that is Joseph. And so he shows Joseph uh, this, this preferential treatment. Uh, Joseph, he gives him this beautiful coat of many colors. And what happens in a family of boys when one is favored? Jealousy. That's right. It sets up the story because of, of, of what the dad kind of sowed these seeds within these brothers. So the brothers were off. They were taking care of the sheep. They were, um, they had to, you know, they didn't have pens. They were shepherds, so they didn't have like a pasture, but they would move them wherever there was grass and where they could feed the sheep. And so the daddy tells Joseph, he says, I want you to go check on your brothers. Now, many of you are familiar with this story. So he goes to check on his brothers, and they see him at a distance, and they basically say, ugh, we don't like him. What are we going to do? And so they take Joseph, and there is a well or a cistern there, and it doesn't have any water in it. And so they literally, uh, you know, I don't know, did they jump on him? What did they do? Tackle him to the ground. But they throw him into this dry well. And then what do these guys decide to do? They sat down and had lunch. Now, for one second, can you imagine that I, I know I have, I have three sisters, and I have been mad at every single one of them at one point or another in my life. But I cannot imagine being so angry and so mad that I would tackle one of my sisters, throw them into a pit in the ground, and then callously, callously sit there and eat my lunch with my other siblings while I heard my, my sister crying out in anguish for her life. Well, that's what these brothers did. And they are sitting there having their lunch. And as they look up, they see this caravan coming. And this is a caravan of Ishmaelites, and they're headed to Egypt. And Judah, okay, Joseph, really in the book of Genesis, Joseph is the one that we hear the most about. But Judah in this story, he's not the oldest, but for some reason he seems to be the spokesperson and the leader of the other brothers. He seems to be the one that has influence. He seems to be the one that takes the initiative. And for whatever reason, his brothers follow his lead. And he says, and I'm going to pull up our slide right here so we can read it together. Judah said to his brothers, what gain if we kill our brother? He says, you know, Joseph is there in the pit. We were going to kill him. And he goes, what? How does that benefit us if we do that? Very, very selfish. He said, what gain will we have if we kill our brother and we cover up his blood? He said, I've got an idea. Let's sell him. Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he's our brother, our own flesh and blood. And I think this is interesting right here, and this shows the, the, the leadership and the influence. It says, his brothers 
agreed. So they pull him out of the pit, and for 20 shekels of silver, they sell their brother. Now, can you imagine in that moment, Joseph was probably screaming. He may have been uh, calling out to them, don't do this, don't do this. And they hardened their hearts. And I think that the guilt might have been even greater for Judah because he was the initiator, the ringleader. So they take Joseph's coat, they, they tear it up, they, they put blood on it, and they take it back to their dad. And they tell their dad, you know, what, what, here we found this, what do you think happened? And, and the dad assumes that Joseph has been killed by a wild animal. Now, for a moment, put yourself in Judah's shoes. He is watching his father now grieve, grieve over his favorite son. And I wonder if Judah might have thought, you know, if we could just get rid of Joseph, I wonder if dad would really love us. If we could just get him out of the picture, would he now love and care for us? as his sons, but the dad doesn't. It says he is unconsolable. He does not let his grief go. And if you know this story, often when we tell the story of Joseph, we pick right up where he goes into Egypt. He's sold into Potiphar's house. He gets enslaved. He's in prison. He has these fantastic dreams. That The story, I'm not going to be able to go into all those details because what I want to do is shift the camera and I want us to look at Judah and what was going on in his heart and his life in this relationship. So after this happens, the next thing that we see is the writer picks up Judah's story. It's like we kind of have this sideways stories. It's almost like a mini-series that spins off from the main, the main television show. And it says, at that time, so what time is this? This is after they have gone back home, they've explained to their dad, their, their brother has died, he's been killed by wild beasts, all the while knowing the truth. At that time, Judah left his brothers, and he went down to stay with a man of Adullam called Hira. And there Judah met a daughter of a Canaanite man named Shua, and he married her and made love to her. And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son who was named Ur. Now, what I want us to see right here, I believe, and the scriptures don't tell us, and sometimes the scriptures are silent, and so I just like to imagine what it would be like. But here's what I think. I think that his guilt and his shame had so, I mean, every time he saw his dad, he was reminded of what he did. I mean, I wonder with his brothers, they had this secret that they couldn't tell anybody. They held it, and I think the guilt, you know, what can you do with guilt? You're either going to shove it down, or you're going to repent of it. But what he did was he shoved it down, he leaves home, he goes to a neighboring town, and there he marries a Canaanite woman. He knows that that is not what God would have him do. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, there's been this family history of where they said, please don't marry outside of our faith. Please don't marry a Canaanite because they will lure you away from God. So he goes and he does the thing that he knows goes against his family's values. 
And this whole chapter here, which is so interesting, the writer of Genesis gives us a full chapter that just talks about Judah's life. And then at the end of this chapter, it picks right back up with Joseph. So I'm not going to go into all the details because we just don't have time. But just as fast as I can, I'm going to try and take us through the highlights. And I'm also going to say it's a little R-rated. So there are going to be some things that are inferred, but I'm not going to go into detail. So let me encourage you, read it this afternoon if you want greater detail. But here's what happens. So he marries this Canaanite woman. They have three sons. The oldest son marries a woman named Tamar. They're from the village where they live. Now, the writer tells us that that oldest son was extremely wicked. And in fact, he was so wicked that God kills him, just strikes him dead. I am really curious, what do y'all think he did? Because I want to make sure that I don't ever do that. (laughs) But anyway, we know that he strikes him dead. And so then Tamar is given to the next brother. This is a part of the custom that that she would want to have children um, through the family lineage. I don't completely understand all that was involved with that. But anyway, then the next uh, guy, he brother, she they don't have any children. So didn't have any children with the first son, doesn't have any children with the second son. And that is interesting. Let me encourage you to read it. I'm not going to talk about it in church, the details. But anyway, so he dies, and then Judah promises he says well I've got a third son he's too young to get married right now but Tamar you wait and grieve and mourn uh, and at the right time I'll give you this third son as a husband the reason this was important was because this was her economic safety net to be in a family to have children it was Judah's responsibility to take care of Tamar but instead he sends her back home. He says, you grieve. He said, I'll, one day I'll, you can marry my youngest son. Well, as the story goes on, of course he doesn't do this. Is this any surprise that Judah does not take responsibility? And so Tamar decides to take matters into her own hands. And again, don't completely understand all of this, but she dresses herself up like a prostitute, like a temple prostitute. She goes and waits beside the road where she knows one day that Judah is going to be passing by. She propositions him, and he says, yes, I will hire you. And they settle on the price. I just thought this was so interesting. The price was a goat. It's like, oh, that's the going rate now for, <laughs> for an hour. Yeah, I just thought, okay, a goat. Well, anyway, well, they, they you know, have their, their, their anyway. And then um, time for payment, um, and he doesn't have a goat with him. And, uh, and so he says, well, I'll send you a goat. And she says, well, here's what I want for a pledge. And she asked for two things. She asked for his staff. And she asked for his signet ring. Now, the significance of those two, these two things is that they would have been, um, it would have been, these, these would not have been items that would have been generic to anybody. The signet ring, just imagine this is like giving someone, you know, your signature card for your bank account or your staff. This is your, like your rod of authority. And so he says, okay, I'll give you those two as a pledge, and then tomorrow I'll send somebody back with the goat. Well, the next day, or I don't know if it's exactly the next day, but anyway, he sends a servant and with a goat, and guess what? 
no temple prostitute. She's not there. So the servant comes back and he says, hey, uh, no temple prostitute here. And he's like, okay, now I've been made the fool. Let's just not talk about this. We'll just pretend what? Like it never happened. Because that's what Judah does. Pushes it down. Let's pretend like it never happened. Three months goes by, and y'all might can fill in the blanks. You know what happens. Tamar pops up pregnant. Well, the, those in, this, in the town, in the village, that was a crime. She wasn't married. And they go back and they tell Judah. And they said, guess what? Your daughter-in-law, Tamar, she is pregnant, and she is not married. You know what Judah does? Judah is enraged, self-righteous enraged. And he said, burn her, burn her, burn her at the stake, burn her alive for this sin. Now, here's this guy who threw his brother in a pit, was a ringleader selling his brother as a slave, I wonder what did they spend the money on, spent the money, lied to his dad, marries a Canaanite woman, has raised two sons that are so wicked that God spites them dead. And here in his righteous indignation, he dare say, yeah, let's burn her for what she's done. I mean, his story is going from bad to worse. Tamar, the trick, is it the trickster, the tricker tricks the trickster? I've heard that said before. Basically, she says, before they can burn her, uh, she says, tell my father-in-law, Judah, that I am pregnant by the person who owns this signet ring and this staff. And here is Judah's response. He says, Judah recognized them and said, she is more righteous than I am because I would not give her to my son Sheila, she is more righteous than I am. This is the first time in this entire story that we see humility, we see self-awareness, we see, and I, it's like, yeah, I am guilty. You see him taking responsibility for his actions. Now, what's interesting here is the writer pretty much just immediately closes this chapter. It goes on and says that Tamar is pregnant, and it talks about the twins that she has, but then their story is over. And then, boom, you pick right up into Joseph's story. And, and you know, it's just a hop, skip, and the jump. Now, the next time that we bumped into Judah, if you're familiar with the story, you know that, that Joseph, he's in jail, uh, and through just the miraculous uh, hand of God, he actually becomes second to Pharaoh, and there is this tremendous famine in the land. So Jacob calls his sons together and says, I need you to go to Egypt to get grain. So they go, and who do they have to go to to ask for food? 
Well, it's their brother Judah. But of course, you know, they don't recognize him. He recognizes them. And there's this interplay here that is really kind of mysterious. But basically, Joseph is kind of playing his brothers through this. He, plant, he, he falsely accuses them of a crime. He plants false evidence. And they go back and forth. And there's all, these, all this mystique, all this uh, trying. He's just playing them there. But at the end of this story, and I'm going to kind of wrap it up. And, and I jumped over a lot of details. Basically, they're all hauled back into the palace there. Joseph in his full Egyptian garb, they have no idea who he is. But for the crime that he's accusing them of, he says, I am going to take your youngest brother, and he is going to be my slave for the rest of his life, and you guys can go on back home with the grain. Have you got this? Brothers, same brothers who sold Joseph into slavery. They are being given the option right here of hightailing it, running back to their dad, and leaving their youngest brother now to be a slave in Egypt forever. And here is what Judah does. He asks for an audience with Joseph. He says, can I talk to him? He bows down and he says, now then, well, I don't know what his title was, let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy. Is this the same Judah? Is this the same Judah? Self-righteous, selfish, angry, unrepentant? Now then, please let your servant, talking about himself, remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy and let the boy return to his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with him? No, do not let me see the misery that would come on my father. Over 20 years have passed since he told his dad a lie. Over 20 years have passed since he callously sold Joseph into slavery. Over 20 years have passed. And he is a changed man. He's a repentant man. He's a humble man. He's a man who is willing to take responsibility. Responsibility when he had not even committed a crime himself. He had been falsely accused. And y'all, I think that the entire Joseph story, and I would even say the entire book of Genesis hinges on this moment right here in what Judah just said. Because what Joseph does next, up to this point, he has not revealed to them who he is. He has, he's, he, it says that he's been very emotional, and he will go off and do it in private, and then he'll wash his face, and then he'll come back out hard with the, with the mask on. But this one event changed him. The writer continues, and he says, Then, then, Joseph could no longer control himself. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. And Pharaoh's household heard him. And Joseph said to his brothers, 
I am Joseph. I'm your brother. You sold me into slavery. You meant it for evil, but God's brought good. God sent me here before you to be your Savior, to be your Savior. What a beautiful, beautiful picture of reconciliation. What a beautiful picture of brothers, brothers who would probably never speak to one another again, that the relationship was completely fractured, so they thought forever. But God was not finished with their story. And God is not finished with your story, and God is not finished with my story. And here's what I know about so many of us, is that so often there is someone who has hurt us, and we struggle with letting that go. And maybe you've needed to distance yourself. I, I think one thing that, that is interesting here was that Joseph did not, he waited before he revealed himself to his brothers. Because sometimes a relationship has become so toxic, sometimes there's, um, there's abuse, sometimes there's substance abuse, sometimes there is a reason when for your emotional and your physical safety, you have to physically distance yourself from people in your life and that is okay. That does not mean that you have not forgiven them. That means you're drawing a healthy boundary. But here's the thing. We never, ever, ever give up on people. We never give up. We never stop hoping. We never stop praying. Because I think that we should never underestimate the power of love over time. The power of love over time. When we continue to pray for God to break the chains of addiction, we continue to pray for God to break the chains of, of someone who has, has walked away from God and who has hurt those whom he or she loves the most. We never lose hope that over time, God is going to set you free and set me free from the bitterness and the anger that just keeps gnawing at our heart. Because the power of love over time equals grace. It equals grace. Now, as you look at this story, the thing that comes to mind for me is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I believe that this story points us to Christ. We are like Judah. We're selfish at times. Maybe y'all aren't. I am. I'm selfish. I'm self-righteous. I'm proud. Sometimes I don't see my own sin. Sometimes I see it, but I don't want to see it, so I push it down. We are Judah in this story. And Jesus is like Joseph. He is the one who, who makes the right choice, who's perfect. And even though Judah is, I mean, Joseph is a, is a type of Jesus, we know that he wasn't perfect, and of course Jesus was. But Jesus took the sins of the whole world that we might become God's children, that we might be forgiven, that his grace might be abundant for us. And that's the good news of the gospel. And as I think about this story, I wonder what would your life be like? I, I wonder what my life would be like if I truly lived into the truth of the gospel. That 
It is Jesus' righteousness that, that makes me a child of God because I so often see my own sin. I wonder what would your relationships be like in your family and my family if we would love over time those who are difficult to learn, to love. What if we continue to pray for them? We continued like the prodigal father, like the father of the prodigal son. He didn't race after his son, but I think he stood on the porch and prayed for him every day. But maybe we are the Judah, and maybe we have hurt someone in our world, and we need to take responsibility, and we need to say, I'm sorry. You know, I don't know what your relationships, and I don't know what, you know, I found that sometimes... Um, God will kind of bubble things up in my heart. And if that's you today, and, uh, and you want to pray for that person, in just a few minutes, I'm going to close this in prayer, and Ashley and the team are going to come back up, and uh, we're going to take the offering. But as soon as the offering has been taken up, if you want to come to the altar and pray about a relationship, I want to invite you to do that. And the song that they're going to sing, it's one of my favorite, um, but it's the, the, here's the line that's just repeated over and over in the song. And it says, there is power in the name of Jesus, there's power in the name of Jesus to break every chain, to break every chain, to break every chain. You see, Joseph and Judah, they felt like there were these chains that their family could never be whole again. But God had a bigger plan and had a bigger story. Now, one little tidbit that you might not know. When the Gospel of Matthew goes through this long genealogy telling who kind of the ancestor of, of, of Jesus was. It wasn't Joseph. It was Judah. Judah is in the family line, the genealogy that leads straight to Jesus. And I think that's because God said, I know you. I know you. And in spite of that, I still love you.